stranger? Barbarian, magician, thief, cavalier, and acrobat. Avenger, the force of evil. I am Dungeon Master, your guide in the realm of Dungeons and Dragons. Cameron. Oh, that delay was like noticeable. I forgot why oh. we stopped doing Discord. Should we not? Should we not do here? Uh, let's try it because Steam was getting real bad last week, and I don't want to have to edit that again. Were we talking over each other too much, or was it? It was fluctuating. Oh, that sucks. That's worse, because then you got to, like, manually line stuff up. So I had, yeah, it was a little bit, and I normally do that for our music ones, so I can throw in little samples here and there, but I don't want to do that every week. Right. Um, but let's start fresh. You were going to open. I'm, I'm going to be quiet so you can open. I was going to ask you a very important question, and it's, why does Mewtwo have such thick thighs when he just floats around instead of walks? Like, where does that muscle come from? Where where did those come from? Is he supposed to give birth? Is he a mammal? Uh, you've seen that uh, that picture, right? Of the, the guy's folder? No. The guy had a folder saved on his computer. Um, and the... Uh, I wonder if I can find it. This is very hard. Um... The, the the title of the folder was Girls Shaped Like Mewtwo, and it was all, like, it was a collection of women who, like, clearly go to the gym. But as a result of whatever muscles they're doing, they tend to, like, burn fat on their upper body, and then they have these thick thighs. And it's a very distinct body shape. Okay. And this guy had, like, a folder of, you know, like, like 500 pictures <laughs> of Mewtwo shaped women that was just like why is that so oddly specific and correct because I totally see it you know he knows what he wants and I guess I, I appreciate I appreciate that my thing is, is Mewtwo clearly doesn't go to the gym he's psychic he's cerebral he he does not lift weights so yeah and so that's this is also aside from the point too because we're going a uh, chicken and egg thing Going back to your question, why does Me Too look that way? I think that... Do, do you want a real answer? I want whatever answer you're willing to give me. So I can tell you from a design perspective why he looks that way. But first, I want to find the original Mewtwo design. The reason this came up is because I'm Did drinking you know that, in, a really thick beer. And I, my thought was, wow, this beer is thicker than Mewtwo's thighs. Oh, that's really funny. I should open the podcast about Mewtwo's thighs. So now we're all on the same page. I love that thought process. Um, so a little bit about Pokemon. You know, I could do a whole episode just on Pokemon red and green. Oh, those are the Japanese colors because we got red and blue here. There's a whole bunch of stuff. So uh, did you know that the sprites were done before the concept art? I did not. The... They, when they're working on the game, they designed the characters to be in the game. And then when they wanted to put stuff on the box or whatever, they had the guy kind of like finalize the design based on what the sprite looked like. Because I think partially since it was their first game, they weren't even sure what they could and couldn't do. So they didn't want to like 
designed Venusaur with like a pattern on him that wouldn't even translate to the uh like the scale of the sprites. Okay. And so like okay, just whatever whatever we can make look good on the Game Boy. And then they took that and said, okay, let's make this look better than Game Boy. And they would do the watercolor thing. So, uh, if you look at the original Mewtwo sprite, he's kind of hunched over. And it's yeah. hard to get a read on what his body is. Yeah, you can kind of sell tell. Uh, this um, is actually kind of interesting. He looks more like a lizard. Yeah, it's got this reptilian quality to it. Um somebody did this interesting thing where they went and they took the sprite design, but they tried to kind of like upscale the quality. And so he did this line art using that palette to kind of recreate what it might've looked like if there was like, this is sort of what Mewtwo might've looked like if there was a cover art with Mewtwo, right? Okay. And even with these definitions, it's still kind of like weird. It's like, is he, is he short or is he squatting over? Like what's, what's going on here? Um, so what they did was they they made him stand upright so it's easier to read what you're looking at. And I think there's a little bit of like a I'm going to say like a body composition thing or, or not just body, but it's it's a it's a more interesting shape to have instead of just like this weird lanky thing, it gives him a little more of an interesting weight to like where's the art here? Uh, to give him this like heavy tail and make him more like bottom heavy with like the, the lanky arms coming out the top. And then he has a big head that kind of balances it out. Okay. Yeah, I get what you're saying. So I, I think that originally he had bulkier arms, like in a concept stage, but they're kind of like, hey, let's like, we don't really need that. Like the, the more they played with it, it's like, well, what if it looked more like this? And over the years, it's sort of evolved into this weird thing, um, which is funny because it comes back. Uh, are you familiar with like the mega evolutions? Um, I know of them, but I'm not like, I don't know if I've seen most of them. So they, they did a thing in one of the games where you can get like a, it's not an evolution thing. It's like a temporary new form. And so like Mega Venusaur gets a much bigger flower and Mega Blastoise gets like a giant cannon in the center of a shell and that kind of a thing. Yep. I don't like most of the designs, but for Mewtwo, they did two of them. You can get Mewtwo X or Mewtwo Y. And Mewtwo Y leans into the psychic stuff. And then Mewtwo X actually becomes fighting type and has bulky arms again. I hate both of these. I don't think they're good designs, but I find it kind of interesting to compare this like weird, uh, like why would they make it like fighting type? But then you look at the original sprite when he had bulkier arms and it's like, oh, it's almost a callback to what he could have been. Yeah, I guess I appreciate that. I think the design is bad, even if like maybe some of the the mindset behind it is kind of neat and, and Easter eggy. I hate most of the Mega Evolutions. That, that was one of those points where it's like, I think I'm done with these new Pokemon games. I think I think it's okay to pick a time to be done with the Pokemon games. We had our fun. Now, I know, I know everyone here listening is really excited to talk about Pokemon with us, but the actual topic of this episode is going to be uh, Dungeons and Dragons, kind of specifically the movie, because I just saw it, because I'm always six to eight months late when it comes to movies. 
but I really enjoyed it. And I was like, I want to talk about this movie with my friend Cameron. Yeah, and we're going to talk about it right after this ad from our sponsor. Um, I So uh, this back in January, I somehow accidentally bought about $400 worth of washers from McMaster Car. Oh, I, I guess, like, I guess we had a customer that needed some, and so we brought them all in, but no one told me that the customer canceled their order, and so they've just been sitting in inventory for six months. And it's like, well, great, what are we going to do? And so I reach out to McMaster Car, and I said, hey, um, is there any way we can return these? Like, what's the restock fee for this many washers? And, like, within ten minutes, I get an email back, oh, no, just ship it to us, we'll give you your full credit. Like, we don't even need, like, a return number. Just mail it here. We'll take care of it. It's like, I don't understand how they're in business. Like, they're so, like, I mean, I know why they earn my business. Yeah. But it's like, I, I don't think that we could do this. <laughs> like, they they are the best out there. I We haven't talked about McMaster Car in so long. I haven't ordered from them in a while because um, other people are doing the bulk of the ordering for the department I'm in now. And I kind of miss ordering from them because it was always so easy and their website is set up so easy to navigate. Literally everything about that company is easy. And we we really should be sponsored by McMaster Car. I, yeah, I would, I I would love stand them, them so every much. episode. And I don't even need the money from them. I, I don't mind sharing all my good stories of McMaster Car. Um, but yeah, I, I love them. Now, Chad... Will you do me a favor and describe this picture to the audience? Okay, so it's Frodo, and he's kind of grinning, and he's saying, nothing ever dampens your spirits, does it, Sam? You know that part from the movie. He looks like he's almost, he's kind of smiling, but he's kind of teary, too. It's very emotional. And the uh, the caption is, when you accidentally fart, but your friend keeps eating your ass. So anyways, Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, okay. Also, when this episode goes up and if I'm if I'm drinking, I'm going to uh tweet it at McMaster Car and be like, "Hey, you should sponsor our show." And then they can ignore us, but they'll do it really efficiently and it'll be great because it'll <laughs> the customer experience will be will be, you know, worth it. <laughs> I love that thought. <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons. I love the new movie. It was super fun. I want off the bat when you think of, like, the best fantasy movies, the ones that come to mind for me are pretty much, like, The Lord of the Rings, and then it kind of stops. There's not a lot of great fantasy movies. Um, as far as, like, the sword and sorcery goes, uh, urban fantasy, uh, you, you start getting, a, I think, a bit more interesting things going on, or, like, fantasy mixed with other stuff. Uh, there's probably things in that realm, but generally, fantasy movies are expensive to make, and don't always look good and aren't always written well. Like maybe like Clash of the Titans was okay with the guy that was in Avatar back when he had a bit of a run being in a bunch of movies. Like those were fine. But generally like fantasy movies, Lord of the Rings, I guess the Warcraft movie was all right. Are there any other good fantasy movies? Because to me, like D&D &D is like the right under Lord of the Rings and above all the Hobbit movies, which were, were Hella mediocre. You know, I'm trying to think of good fantasy movies, and one that comes to mind is Aragorn. Aragorn, whatever. That wasn't even good. Oh, Aragorn with the dragons and the based off the, uh, yeah. the book. 
written by a 14-year-old. And you could tell it was written by a 14-year-old if you read it and you were not 14. It's a horrible book. Yeah, it was um it was very like yeah, you could tell it had some kind of budget, but at the same time it just felt so uninspired as a film that it's like why is this even here? I typed in what are good fantasy movies into Google. I'm seeing a lot the I Princess haven't seen Bride. before. Yeah, I haven't seen that in a long time, but that's a good one. Um, Pan's Labyrinth is on here. I don't really count that because there aren't any wizards or sword-swinging people. Though it is technically a fantasy movie. And that is a great movie. Um, The Green Knight is on here. That was pretty good. I did enjoy that one. I've never seen Stardust. I've never seen Labyrinth. I've heard Labyrinth is really good. I should probably actually see that one. Is Stardust based after the Neil Gaiman book? Where, where yes, are you reading Holy these? Shit. Huh? Where are you reading these? I just it's just what to watch on Google. I did um I, I found one, it's a list on Collider, which I'm not familiar with Collider.com. Uh but it's their top twenty fantasy movies of all time. Number twenty, The Dark Crystal. Uh that's a I love that. That's a good choice. Um I think number twenty it almost feels high, but also we'll see what else is on the list here. Yeah. Um, but it that's that's fantasy to me. I think that, that encapsulates fantasy because it's so far removed from anything Earth. Like, there's no humans in that story. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, it, it's very... Uh, it, it's very reliant on magic and these weird, like, alien world kind of thing. Uh, number 19, The Green Mile... What isn't that? Uh, the am I thinking of a different movie? Green Mile. Oh, that was a Stephen the, King this thing. This is a Tom Hanks movie. I don't think this is fantasy. This is like this would be urban fantasy to me. Is that? Is, does urban fantasy not fantasy? I, I'm specifically talking about like set in medieval stuff with with swords and dragons. Uh, in the case of Dark Crystal, being very oh. far removed from Earth. This should count. How about Never Ending Story? Okay. I haven't seen that movie in so long, I don't know what it's about. It has a dog in it, right? Uh, probably. Yeah, like a weird dog dragon thing. Kind of ugly. Oh, they have Spirited Away. Would you count that as urban, or is, does that count because it's like a spirit world? Um, I think that maybe doesn't count. And I, I maybe I'm just working with two, two, uh, specific of a of a genre thing here maybe it's my fault spirited away is a fantastic movie though right um harry potter once again like snow white lord of the rings star wars wizard of oz is their number one i mean i I would put dark crystal above wizard of oz in terms of fantasy films right i guess when I think fantasy, like I, I, I am thinking like Lord of the Rings and D and D fantasy. There is a very specific flavor of it, and we don't get a lot of movies in that flavor, uh, largely because they're really expensive and difficult to make to, and make look good. And so the fact that we got a the Dungeons and Dragons, like a literal D and D movie, and it's fairly high budget and it looks good and it was fun as fuck and like it was great and I had so much fun with it. I was like, this might be one of the best fantasy movies I've ever seen. But I'm not including stuff like Avatar or The Life of Pi or The Shape of Water, which 
are nominated, you know, BAFTA nominated for fantasy movies. And it's like, they're not really the, the flavor I'm looking at, though. And I think that's fair. That's fine. Um, I, I think that, uh, well, I guess, do you want to talk about the movie itself? Yeah, we can do that. I was, I was trying to use this as a jumping on point, but I don't know what I'm doing. I, yeah. So I, I'm curious. Um, I, I went into the movie with low expectations. I was just kind of in the mood for it. Okay. And I found myself very pleasantly surprised, uh, frequently throughout the movie. It's like, I, I think the trailer is almost a disservice to it, really. I don't know if I watched the trailer. I think maybe I did, and I just don't remember. But I remember, like, the buzz is what got me to watch it. Because everyone was like, hey, you should go see this. It's really good. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'll wait till it's on Redbox, because that is what I do. And then I watched it, and I was like, oh, this is really good. But So I actually had, like, expectations for this movie, just based on word of mouth. I think my favorite aspect was just seeing the amount of practical effects that they do. Yeah, it was so nice. Like, you can tell that. There, I mean, there was definitely, like, CG, but the sets looked. I don't know. There's a physicality to the movie that, like, Marvel movies don't have, right? Because everything's on a green screen. And, and even some, like, weird creatures and things, too. Like, there's more than one person in the movie where they're just wearing a dumb animal head. And it's like, wow, it's really a half dragon person, and it's just like it's a it's a dumb rubber mask, but it's like, oh, I, I'm so happy that's not CGI. Yeah, I know when like I'm Jonathan so sick of it <laughs> everywhere. When the when the Griffin shows up in the beginning and they use him to break out of prison, and I was like, that guy's just wearing a rubber mask, and I can kind of tell, but also he looks like he fits in the world because like some. Or CGI artist with, you know, 18 shots of espresso in him at four in the morning didn't have to, like, comp all the lighting. And it looked really good, even though I could tell it was a costume. Yeah, I, I don't know how to... It, it's not like it was uh, better than CGI has ever been, because, like, if you watch Avengers, uh, the Hulk doesn't feel like CGI. It's, like, a really good effect. It's like, oh, wow, it's really good. And you don't think about it. The fact that I noticed should mean that it's talking points, but after the amount of movies I've seen where the CGI is distractingly bad, I don't mind recognizing a rubber mask. Right, right. It doesn't take me out of the film. And it's also kind of fun to think about them like actually being on set and knowing what the fuck they're looking at. Also, it just it fits the vibe of the movie, but also the vibe of Dungeons and Dragons, which is like, hey, we're going to get together and it's pen and paper and we're using our imagination. Maybe we have miniatures or drawings, but a lot of people don't have those. Or if you do, they, they look like shit because someone just drew them on a napkin or the miniatures are unpainted. And so there's a scrappy feeling to the movie that mimics the thing it is actually like based on. Yeah, and I, I really... I think you you put it really well when you said vibe. There's an element of this where the the whole time it's very kind of it, I want to say lighthearted, even though there's like serious moments or this is a sad moment or something. It's like it still kind of feels like sitting at a table and it's just sort of like oh what a whimsical movie you know. I kind of want to compare it to Princess Bride, where okay. there's like there's things at stake. And people could die, but it's not being melodramatic the whole time. Yeah. 
it's like, oh no, the evil wizard. We have to stop the evil wizard. And they say it seriously because the characters actually care, but they don't, you know, it does, it's, it's not, it, it, it's not trying to be something more than it is. It's resting exactly where it should be. Yeah. I also think, I mean, it helps that it is a funny, like, family action movie, but it's not funny in the way I was worried about. Like, there aren't quips left and right. It's not like this kind of yeah. big budget uh, Marvel humor. It, the characters are actually really well written. They have things they're doing. They play off each other really well. And it, every time like someone jokes, it feels like kind of like a natural piece of dialogue, not like we have to have X amount of jokes per minute or the people won't like this movie because it's been focus tested to death. It's also, um, I, I as a brand, I've been getting very frustrated with D&D in general for years now. And it's like I was bracing for the most cringy kind of Reddit style writing you know what I mean? Sure. The books have been getting like progressively more lame over the years. Oh like, boy! I remember at one point when this is about like when I was kind of done playing, but they were coming out with a new book where the theme of the book was going to magic college, and you can go to like magic prom at the magic college. And it's like I remember, you know, if I look at my expansion books, I have I have Dark Sun, which is this like harsh. Mad Max world where there's no water or metal and you have to make all your weapons out of uh, bone and you have to live underground because it's all desert and you'll die in the sunlight and it's uh, it's very strange to see how like toothless it's become and I look at the way they present a lot of the the D&D marketing and the branding and stuff and it just seems like it's trying to be very soft and pleasant and like they're leaning into hey i know you college kids like to a drink or whatever at your board game night so you can do dungeons and dragons and it doesn't feel like going into a fantasy world it feels like a young adult novel writing session oh that sucks where everyone's power fantasies become true. You know, it's it's like D&D stories used to be about, oh man, you wouldn't believe about this total party kill we had. And now it just feels like they're about like, oh, uh, Sarah's uh, wheelchair uh, magically flies now. And that's the highlight. And it's like, well, no, that, that would be just a, a thing you would find in a dungeon is a magic artifact. That's not the highlight. You know, the conflict would be the highlight. And yeah. then maybe you used your magic flying wheelchair to overcome the conflict. But it, it you know, it, what you, it's like the cart before the horse a bit. And sure. it's like, I'm so tired of Stranger Things and Rick and Morty. And oh, so man, the, new the season idea of Rick going to a Dungeons good. and Dragons movie, it's like, I don't know that I like Dungeons and Dragons. Like, I see the logo on the poster and I was like having second thoughts. So the fact that the movie was entertaining and well-rounded very surprised me. I think it surprised a lot of people. I want to say like the opening weekend was kind of mediocre and then like word of mouth is why that movie did well and is going to get a sequel. I liked the characters, pretty much all the characters. Yeah. And I think what I really liked was how uh, the main guy was 
uh, if you had to stat him out in D and D, he probably has some agility, but he's mostly charisma. Yeah, he was a good bard. And that was, yeah, it, that was portrayed very well. I thought specifically how, like he he's always trying to convince people to do things, and that's a, that's a cute way to write that character that he's always like pitching things to people. But what I liked was some of the more subtle moments, like uh, there's a part where the barbarian lady went to see her ex-husband. Yeah. And you could tell that after that scene, she wasn't feeling that great about it. And he didn't like say anything. He just kind of recognized that. And then it's like, it's time to go. And he pulled out his lute and they started singing a song. And it's a song that she likes to sing along with, so she sings along with it, and they write off, and they just left it at that. They didn't have, like, a touching moment about, no, you are okay. Like, they, it, it felt like an actual movie scene. Yeah, I really liked how he interacted with, with basically everybody. There was, I, I think the charisma thing is true, but then there was, like, reasons for the charisma and kind of, like, why he acts the way he does, because of the stuff he's done and the bad stuff that's happened to him. And just like, hey, if I... If I don't stop moving forward, then I'll have failed. But until I stop, I technically have not failed. Like, that's how he defines his outlook on life. And I thought that was, like, really refreshingly positive, especially for a character who has a lot of mistakes happen to him or that he causes in this movie. And the fact that he just keeps going and he loves the people in his life, his friends, his family, like, he was... an interesting kind of... He's not really an anti-hero, but he commits some crimes, right? He's not, like squeaky clean like Tanjiro and then Demon Slayer but he's still like a really good guy at heart and so he was kind of refreshing because I don't know it, like I'm thinking of like Star-Lord with Guardians of the Galaxy being a, a somewhat similar archetype but Star-Lord I feel like is a lot better at what he does and a lot more of a go-getter like if, if Star-Lord doesn't have anybody around him he can still get out of a scrap whereas this guy kind of needs people around him like he really needs friends to back him up and mm-hmm. I think that makes him more interesting because he, there has to be a dynamic or he is fucked because he's he's got his loot and that's it. I also, I, I did say I like all the characters. Um, the Barbarian Lady, uh, she's from the Fast and the Furious movies. Oh, yeah? And when I saw her, my first thought was, oh, well, whatever. I thought she actually acted in this movie. And I'm like, oh, it, you know, if she feels like acting, she can. this is kind of nice like i I thought she was entertaining in this i loved her in this i loved her it was nice to see a barbarian woman like on the big screen because i'm so used to the barbarians and the D &D books i have which are basically all burly uh men clad in you know like animal skins and wearing giant hammers and axes and kind of misogynistic and uh they're not, they're like my least favorite characters in the Drizzt books. Like anytime they interact with the barbarians, I'm just like, great. I hope this doesn't suck. And then they're like, oh, it's a, it's a barbarian lady and she's fucking kind of badass. And she's a, a surrogate mother to, to, to this character. And, um, she's a really like honorable, good friend. And she had a, you know, married a, a halfling and, and like, there's so much going on with her that like, I think is so fun. And I wish I had seen these kind of takes on the barbarian class and the barbarian archetype in the books that I have read. Like this, this movie takes the books and I feel like it elevates a lot of things because it just makes them a lot more rounded and humanistic. They're not archetypes swinging swords and killing dragons, right? They're, they're like actual characters with hopes and feelings and and things to do that don't involve killing orcs. 
Uh, okay, I want to say a negative part, but with okay. an asterisk. One thing that put me off of the trailer was my pet peeve of having like way too many references to things. Okay. And I just, I was kind of bracing, like, I'm certain, I am certain that this movie is going to have a bunch of references to recognizable things from the intellectual property owned by Wizard of the Coast. And so it's like, I was kind of bracing for it. I feel like the trailer was more egregious about it than the film, even though in the film there's a lot, but I feel like they rest a little more adequately. Like, they're spaced out a bit more. It's believable that they would reference named locations or things. Like, it didn't seem out of place in the context of the film. Right. I think the only time uh, it kind of did is when they went to the Underdark for a bit, just because, like, oh, I hid it in the Underdark. And it's like, why would you do that? It's like, well, no one really will. We'll probably find it. It's like, okay, I guess that's fair. Uh, at the same time, I did kind of enjoy seeing the Underdark on the big screen and seeing some of the weird brain monsters that live down there. And I was like, oh, there's so much cool shit down here that if they did a whole movie set down in the caves of the Underdark, I would be on board. And so seeing, you know, getting kind of the tour of, of Farron and, you know, seeing the map pull out at the, in the beginning and just like recognizing that map is one I've seen in like all the books I own. There was a lot of serotonin going on, despite knowing exactly what like, you know, they're playing into me and what I want very well. And it feels a little shameless, but also it's integrated into the story enough. We're like, oh yeah, I mean, it's set here. They're going to reference like Baldur's Gate. That's an important place in this world. They're going to reference the spine of the world. Those are very important mountain range. You know, stuff happens there. So it was. I also kind of liked um, there's that one part where they used a magic item to talk to the dead. Yeah. And for whatever reason, he basically like recited the rule book from the game. I didn't know that, but that was a, a funny sequence. It was a funny sequence, but also it, it it was one of those things where I feel like this could be clumsy. Like it, it 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 has limits to how the magic works. And so the spell is you can only ask three questions and then you can never ask them another question again. And I feel like uh, that comes from a game design standpoint of technically that you could just like harass a dead person like indefinitely and spoil a whole story and the DM would be very frustrated. So it's like, okay, well here's this very powerful artifact, but it, you have to do it correctly or you miss your shot. And so saying that the magic artifact just has this arbitrary limitation in the movie, it was a little annoying and it took me out a little bit, but then the sequence was so entertaining that it's okay. It warranted itself just fine. I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. The sequence I thought was actually kind of a subversive thing because they said they're going to the moors, and I'm thinking, oh, the troll moors, they're going to go fight some trolls, and this is going to be like an action sequence, and I don't know if I want one, but, you know, it's been a little bit. I guess we could be okay. And then we got like a slapstick, you know, element, and that was fun. But it comes back to when like everybody's frustrated and, and the, the barbarian lady's like, hey, we... We dug up and desecrated, like, the graves of my family for this quest. No, we're not giving up on it. And so, despite how funny that was in the moment, there was, like, emotional weight to it, too. Because, like, she was kind of upset by it a little bit. You know, it was, I think, somewhat her idea. But the act of, like, hey, we dug up my people who fought in this war and then just kind of left them there. Like, that, you know, that that was kind of fucked up. And she acknowledged that. 
And so I also liked how the sequence like started with a horror element. Like it's kind of spooky and scary how this like, you know, half, uh, half decomposed body like juts alive or whatever. And then it ends so funny and it leads into this funny sequence where it's like, you know, I, I kind of appreciated that they acknowledged how horrifying this is. Yeah. And then also turned it into a light moment instead of dwelling on it too much. It was very elegantly handled. I, I agree. I, I keep telling you, you got to watch Game Night. It was made by the same people, pretty much. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm definitely like on board. This director and the writing team did a very good job here. Yeah. I um. What did you think of like the Red Wizards and Saz Tam being in there? Because I know when I stopped reading the Drizzard books, they go to Neverwinter. Like the last arc takes place in Neverwinter and around Neverwinter. And so... They're fighting the armies of the Red Wizards and all of the the undead that they're creating. Uh, Saztam is the main villain, or will be. I I stopped reading before they killed him because Drizzt dies, and I was like, you know what, Drizzt can stay dead. I don't need him resurrected in another book. But I I kind of enjoyed like like I've read twenty some of these books, and so there was definitely shit in them for me. And I I like the setting of it though. It's like oh Neverwinter, I know that place. I'm looking for like. Uh, specific architecture that's called out in the books and to see if I can find it, stuff like that. Like, I don't know, there, there's something really fun about that, but I don't know if you have any opinions on on that word vomit I just did. No, it, again, it's like any other reference where it kind of feels warranted. Uh, d- you didn't see the Mario movie, right? Not yet, but it is in Redbox, so I think this weekend I might watch it. Oh, okay, you know what? I, I won't say too much more, but uh, there's a part in the Mario movie, th- there's a bunch of references. Like, if you look in the background, there's so many little things, and it was kind of, like, a bit much. Uh, but it's also, it's a dumb movie for kids, so I don't care. Uh, but the, there's a part that I thought was weird was, uh, there's a, there's a sequence where Peach is explaining to Mario how power-ups work. And she literally just says, you, you hit a block and a power-up comes out. And so you use this, and then if you get hurt once, the power-up will leave you. And it's a mushroom, and Mario eats the mushroom and becomes Super Mario, and gets hurt and shrinks down to normal Mario. And it's one of these things where it was, it feels like it was adapted too literally from the games. Yeah, that seems uh, a and little on the nose. And hearing someone explain this word by word, and th- then the scene plays where this happens, and I'm kind of like... I I almost would have accepted if this wasn't in the movie. Even though, and, and this is maybe hypocritical, but if you look at the old Saturday morning cartoon, they had those power-ups. Half the time the plots were Bowser is hoarding power-ups. Like, it, it's, it's understood that Fire Flowers are like weapons in this universe. And there's like an underground weapons trade of, you know, super mushrooms or something. And it was often a MacGuffin that, like, oh, we'll, you know, Mario, you gotta get the the leaf thing to turn into a stupid raccoon. I'll get it, Luigi. Whoa. It's just like, whatever. It, seeing this in the movie was weird. Um, the, the references and the game moments that happened in the D&D movie, they didn't feel like, oh, this could have been handled better. It was actually... Well, okay, another one. The magic helmet that he has to attune to before he can use it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
uh, attuning to a magic item is a D&D rule, but the way they show it, like, they don't spend much time explaining what magic is, but they demonstrate this, like, battle of wills he has to use to become one with the helmet, and I thought that was illustrated so well that it worked just fine. It was great, because it was like this character you know, it, moment, It wasn't right? a weird thing. It was like, oh, it's a good story moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, when he finally did it and, like, basically, I don't know, slaps his own insecurities, like, the physical manifestation of him, and then it works, and now he can be a badass wizard. You're like, fuck yeah, this guy deserves a win. One of the Actually, going- you know what? There was a lot of fun use of magic in this movie, too. I liked the whole clever idea of putting, like, a magic portal behind the painting and then smuggling the painting in with the treasures it's like this is such a great plan i want to see how this plays out the heist aspect to that was awesome because that was like that's one of those if you if you do a heist movie in a fantasy setting i want to see some weird shit right i want to see some magic i want to see some swords and arrows and, and creativity and and they did that and like i know the, the the item shows up and it gets them over an encounter but then they keep using it right like it, it is part of the tool set they now have. And it's not forgotten. And I think in a lesser movie, it would have been like, haha, we did a portal. Look at the portal reference. And then they don't have it anymore. But in this, like, no, no, no. We're, we don't forget the things we did. It's, it's more than just like a reference to a D&D item. It is now their toolkit and it uh, adds to their personality. And then, you know, everything kind of goes back to like, they're good characters and good characters remember shit. And that's why it works. Also, another aspect of that was I I liked how they had this funny back and forth of like, when that plan doesn't work, we need a backup plan. And they ended up having like two different heist plans going simultaneously just in case. Yeah. And I really liked how that was played out in the film, like the way it was edited, where they both got to the end goal at the same time and then checked in with the other team and realized that they were in different spots, which means that like there's more of this mystery and it's like wait what happened because you've been following along with them so you're just as confused as they are yeah and it was a very good just storytelling part like this is i i did not expect this movie to be good (laughs) but it's actually like intelligently put together it's also a really clever use of having a big cast of characters and needing them all to do something but you can't have them all kind of doing the exact same thing at the same time because that gets really busy and so, like, how do you split the team up in a way that is smart? Where they're all contr- you're doing something, it makes sense, but they're not, you know, overcrowding the camera. And I feel like this movie is really, really good at that. Just when it chooses to split who off, introduce things, take them away. It's really well crafted. Just, like, there's a lot of smart writing from, like, a technical standpoint. And I just wasn't expecting that at all. Uh, I guess, I, guess the I was. One, there's that character. They they find that paladin, right? Yeah. He was so funny because he's so like overly like lawful good in a comedic sense, and it was very entertaining to see him do things because when they first bring him up, it's like, oh, where are they gonna go with this? Like maybe he's like uh too high and mighty to deal with thieves, so he dismisses them, or maybe he's not so high and mighty after all and it's like oh no he's actually like it it felt like a dm self-insert yeah in in a good way but 
it was kind of like this guy doesn't belong in the story, but at the same time, he has a role in the story that's entertaining to watch, and then he doesn't overstay his welcome. I love when he walks away and they're just kind of like, he's going in a straight line and they're making fun of him. Like, oh, is he going to go over the rock or around it? He's got a rock in his way. And he just like hops over the rock and they're like, oh. And, you know, they're just like making fun of like how weird and and straight shooter he is, like in a literal sense. And then at the end, he's just like apparently just been walking in a straight line this whole time and then runs into the bad guy to arrest him. And that was such a fun way to resolve that. (laughs) I, yeah, it was, um, it was a very interesting cast of characters. Uh, I I liked how they had certain callback jokes. Like there was that one thing where the barbarian said that like, oh yeah, if we had a druid, she could turn into a deer. And they kept asking like, what? Why would turning into a deer in the city help? And then there's like a sequence later where she does turn into a deer. And it's like you know what? It's ca- like why not? I'd take that moment. That was great. That was another one of those, like, it's it's vaguely, like, Marvel quippy, but it's executed so well that it was, like, it was hilarious, and I'm glad they did it. Like, this is great. This is, like, the comedy I want out of this. Like, the, the setup and punchlines yeah. to and the so jokes. I, I'm happy that stuff happens. Yeah. I'm curious, uh, my question for you, because I know they're going to make another one of these, and the rumors and rumblings, it's sort of like, what characters are going to show up? Are they going to do any, like, mainstay from the D&D property? And I keep seeing, is Drizzt Duerden going to be in the next movie? And my hope is no. Because I feel like he just gobbles up whatever scene he's in to the point where I think it would be really frustrating. But I told my brother that and he's like, you know what would be funny is if he was like kind of this bit character where he always shows up too late. And so he can't do anything. Or he like has his own side quest and he just like shows up at the end and he's like, yeah, I solved my bit. What about you guys? And you don't even really see him at all. He just kind of has a cameo. I think both of those things could be kind of funny. But ultimately, the characters I like out of the D&D books I have, I don't know if I'd want any of them to show up in any of these movies. I, I, I feel like the movies work by being... Or the movie work by being like distinctly separate, but still in the same world as. I think I'm on the same page as you. I want to say something uh, insightful you haven't thought of, but I really can't. I think I feel exactly the same way you do right now. It's I, I, I don't necessarily want to see these characters again because I feel like their story wrapped up so well. And it's like, hey, that's good. Uh, the world of D&D is kind of big enough that they could tell completely new character stories and it would feel appropriate. And Drizzt, he, uh, he steals the spotlight. It's in his nature. Yeah, I mean, he's an author insert character, like, that's what happens. I think that whatever it is, I want to see uh, the same qualities of this, where it should be a party, because that's ultimately what D&D should always feel like. Yeah. Uh, Boy, I don't know. Because I also, if they never made a sequel, I'd be okay with that, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a part of me is almost like I don't even want any of it, but it, this worked out really well. And if the other one was just as good, then that's, you know, that's great. Um, I think it would be interesting to see something that maybe feels a little more like The Hobbit, like the story of The Hobbit, not the movies. Off to Kill a Dragon? I, I, well, uh, more like there's there's uh, 
there's a quest of importance and maybe you kind of tag along from the point of view of someone that's less experienced and maybe they feel like they have less skin in the game in the first place. Okay. And, I get it, yeah. you know, the, the kind of like a, a rookie adventurer um, that over the course of the story becomes not only accepted, but kind of part of the family. And it's very uh, satisfying conclusion by the end that they all come together as a team sort of a thing like that might be entertaining because that that's the other thing is that with these characters in this movie everyone seems fully capable like even the the uh not the wizard but the um sorcerer um that the whole thing is that they keep saying how he's not that good but in reality he is it's just that he doesn't know how to be good yeah I would almost want to see a sorcerer that's not good, like a clumsy kind of thing. I don't think you cared. Did you like the that one reference to the uh, the kids from the cartoon? Um, I don't know if I got it because I thought I thought that was pretty cute. Did you ever watch the cartoon? No. Okay. Um, because they put the the Saturday morning D and D uh characters in the movie. Oh, did they? Yeah. Um, it, it was actually kind of weird because I feel like the implication at the end is that they might have died in that like red cloud that did get out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fucking um, awesome. That's really funny. But yeah, there's that part in the arena where there was like, a, there was like, I want to say the other team looked like the generic example party from like third edition. Where it's like, here's what a dwarf warrior should look like, and here's what a, a elf archer should look like. It was like from the rule book, and then they look to the left, and then it's the kids from the Saturday morning cartoon. And I thought, well, this is great. And then they didn't dwell on any of it too much. That's the best way to do a reference. Hook. I didn't pick up on either of those things, but I enjoyed like the design work of these characters. Right, like, oh hey, there's other people in the arena, and a lot of them yeah, are getting jobbed very by this far away. Monster. Most of it, like. I, I think there's one scene where you see the barbarian kid like open a treasure chest or something and he gets his iconic club from the show. Yeah. And it's like, okay, that's cute. And then they, they moved on. He didn't have speaking lines. They didn't like turn it into something more than that. Um, but it's like, I, it's something that I like in the cartoon show and the cartoon doesn't encapsulate D and D very well, but Everyone of the kids basically had like one magical artifact that they were good with. And so the the barbarian kid had a club and that gave him super strength. So he could like he could hit something and break it in a way that no one else could break it. So he could like, you know, kick down a door or he could cave in a cave or whatever. The the one guy had he could like magically make a bow and arrow. So he just had unlimited arrows and he could shoot at bad guys or whatever. And the wizard had a magic hat and it's like he didn't know how to use it. It was like a running gag that they'd say like, oh, we're out of ideas, you know, do something. And so he'd, he'd take his hat and he'd like wave his hands around and go up like, um, something, something, get rid of the dragon. And he'd like pull out a rope. It's like, what do we do with a rope? But then it would give someone else an idea. And then they swing across the canyon and save the day. And I almost want that element of, like, a clumsy wizard. Okay. Yeah. I think that's fun. <laughs> like, if they if they lean into that trope a little bit, I wouldn't object to it, even though it's something we've seen before. 
I guess, yeah, my uh, my thing, my other question, I know we're at 50 minutes, so we can wrap up soon, but, like, the things you'd want in the next movies, I would love to see, like, a proper necromancer in one of these, because I think the toolkit of necromancers is super fun, but I also think, like... Oh, it's like a, a protagonist? Yeah, as a protagonist. You're part of the party, and part of me is, like, would it, you know, you do kind of, like, a, the, the Barbie-style, like, manic pixie dream girl, but she's got, like, a fellhound with her. Uh, you know, like something like overly girly, but then she's raising skeletons. I think the you could have really like visual fun with like the dichotomy of like what to expect out of a necromancer and then just not delivering that at all. I think stuff like that could be a lot of fun to play with. I, I do think having a new party is probably better than continuing on with the current one. I do. I do like how their story resolved. Everybody kind of had a bit of an arc. I mean, not everybody, but you know, there there there's a satisfying ending to everybody. You know, they're they're on good terms, they're happy. They use a oh. fun magic item. Okay, here's an idea. What if it's a bit of a time skip and the guy's daughter is like the new protagonist? Oh, that could be fun. I could see that. And she's like her own kind of thief where it's like, you know, well, my dad taught me right, but I have a few tricks up my sleeve and she like turns invisible and does a Robin Hood thing or something. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't mind that either. Like, I I feel like I'm normally more picky, but for D&D, and we're talking about fantasy movies, I almost want tropey stuff there. I want Because that's almost half well. of it, you know? Yeah. I totally agree. I think that would be great. And then she... I also think, like, you know, her dad was a, a, basically a, a bard. If she goes into something like a little more useful, well, not useful is the wrong word because bards are fine. But, you know, like if she almost has this chip on her shoulder, where she's like an actual rogue with like daggers and like shadow step or whatever. And she's like, yeah, I mean, dad taught me how to steal. But come on, you know, he had to sing I mean, his way. He was, I mean, he, he was a thief more than a bard. Like bards have spells. Okay. But yeah. <laughs> they could have fun with it. They could have be, fun be with it. Be a little more like of a cool, you know, dashing rogue character. What could be interesting is she's like the cool dashing rogue character, but she's like maybe not as charismatic. And so she has to, you know, her, her arc is like to realize, you know, the power of friendship's actually pretty bitchin'. Or, or even, uh, you know, she, I mean, the, the, I feel like the way that this movie is, that character does understand the power of a team. I suppose. But it might be interesting if maybe she felt, uh, if she developed into a more lone wolf kind of person and she doesn't want to rely on others or trust others and she like overcomes that or something. Like that's the whole story arc. Like I, I think it could be done. Or maybe she overcommits to the team and like actually she puts too much effort in because she doesn't want to be the weak link of a team. So she kind of inadvertently becomes that by trying to do too much all the time. I don't know. I, I'm i curious to see what a sequel would be, but I will at least enjoy this one for what it is. Yeah. I also think the backdrop of uh, Saz Tam and like the undead is a really easy one to keep going because there's like, there's not a lot of black and white morality to killing zombies. And so having that as the overarching bad can be kind of nice because then you can do a lot of fun character stuff. At the same time, my biggest complaints with all the D&D books I've read are that they're so black and white that there's no nuance to fucking anything. And so I'm like, oh, well, the orc stuff that, that Salvador did where, like, the orcs 
develop a kind of a society and build a city and start trading with people and all of a sudden hey not all orcs are bad maybe we gotta like deal with them as humans instead of monsters you know exploring something like that in a movie could be really cool if you had the right cast and director and all that other shit I guess only time will tell yeah fuck you time I'm sick of you and your secrets I don't know. Any other closing remarks on the movie? I'm glad you watched it. I'm glad you had fun. No, but it was uh, it was really it was good to like talk to you about D and D stuff. I think this was kind of a fun conversation about nothing with consequence, which is always what the show is about. I mean, but what else would it be about? We're not qualified to talk about anything else. That is fair. <clears throat> I burp. Okay, how about a glad space? Um. I feel it's one of those things. I have other things. I could things like I I have, I have things I could pick, and one of them is this beer because it did definitely get me a little drunk. This is uh it's an imperial stout aged in bourbon barrels from Three Sheep's Brewing, which is located somewhere in Wisconsin. The font is really small. Sheboygan. Oh fuck! Is this really from Sheboygan? I can make Matt pick me up this next time he's over. He lives over there. Hell yeah, this stuff's awesome. This is a dark-ass beer. It's really thick. It's um 12.5%. I've been drinking it this whole time. And I'm a, I'm a big old fan. I'm going to message Matt right now. I like, think that's a good pick. You have to bring me beer next time you come. <laughs> uh, I, so, okay, I guess you could say E3's over now. I think so. It's hard to, I don't know, since there's not an E3 anymore, it's hard to know when to call it, but there have been so many daggum trailers left and right. I think we're done. I think Nintendo closed it out. Uh, Did you hear any of the Nintendo announcements? If we didn't talk about it, no. I think it's interesting that I'm the only one that brings up uh, this game stuff to you. I think Nintendo was a very weird presentation because... They talked about stuff no one cares about for a very long time. Like, there were so many announcements, but I think everybody walked away with one or two things that they were mildly interested in. Uh, But I really, I love, love, love this trailer for a new Mario game because it's so uh, cute. But the new visual design they're doing, like, the art direction's new. They're actually kind of doing something with this that I think is overdue. Uh, I want to share with you this uh, Super Mario Bros. Wonder. I've definitely seen um, the pictures of this going around, right? Because you showed me the first one, I think, and it was like, wow, uh, uh, they released this on 621, and then we had a fucking good good old belly laugh at that. Oh, the elephant thing? Yeah. Yeah, so elephant aside pay attention to like the frame rate of the characters like how they animate watching 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 oh this looks nice um yeah so what they're doing that's very interesting is that the characters are animated in a style as if they were sprites where there's like a choppiness to them and they will like hang on certain poses in weird ways looks like really gorgeous yeah i love the music too going on 
holy fuck how did how is this the first time i've hearing or seeing about this this is a really really impressive i think the internet got distracted by the sexy elephant but i'm just like doing frame by frame analysis of everything in this trailer um i don't know that you can necessarily notice the naked eye but the coins are they're 3d coins and they're rotating in a 3d space but they kind of um they stop at angles that the SNES sprites do. Really? Like the SNES coin sprite is four frames. And it'll like kind of rest at the angles of that sprite along its rotation. So it emulates the vibe of like booting up Mario World for the first time. But it's also it's a 3D thing. It's a real object in that space, but there's like a cartoony twist on it. And it's just that kind of polish is what Nintendo's good at. Yeah. They're definitely like a devil in the details kind of game designers. Um, I like how there's these weird little word pop-ups. Like characters will say things or like they kill an enemy and then a little word pops up and says, great. And it's cute. And there's just these little details. Yeah. And so I, I know people kind of get tired of the new Super Mario Brothers series because it was very derivative. It all looks exactly the same. I don't think you can say that this looks indistinguishable from the others. This has a lot more polish and pop to it. Yeah. That's a good glad space, though. That, that game looks really fun. Yeah, but that's all. Um, this is a fun week, I think. Yeah, I had a good time. I really like this beer. I really want more liquor, but it's like 8.30 and I really should not have any more tonight. Cause <laughs> yeah. I have to be on the ball somewhere. tomorrow. I did message Matt, though. That's good. Well, I guess that's all. I want to wish everybody a very... A uh, somber uh, Titanic submarine remembrance week. Yeah, that's been a interesting story to follow. I don't know what to feel about it. I feel like maybe we don't need to turn everything into a shit post. Is kind of my takeaway. Yeah, I, 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 I will. I have this severe whiplash. If I scroll Twitter, I will see the most horrifying, sad update. And right under it, the most hilarious joke that I can't help but retweet. And yeah, underneath it, that, another like horrible update. And it's like, I, I don't know how to feel about it. And this isn't helping. So, As someone who has made a, like more than one 9-11 joke on this show, I'm the last person to be like, the sanctity of. But it's also been some years since 9-11. Maybe, maybe well, there is it too soon. <laughs> I, the, well, okay. I think I think the, the here's where the too soon is when it hasn't even happened yet. Did you see that the Channel Five in the UK had a documentary about them being lost at sea? Like, and they they announced that they'll release it after it's official that they're out of air. Like, Jesus. it basically finalized this documentary about how these people died while the rescue is still in motion. That's pretty fucked. I appreciate the and, team that and had they said, to make that. Don't worry, that. we'll air it tomorrow. We we know they only have five more hours of sleep. Or 
they're, they're going to run out of air any minute now. We'll release the documentary. Don't worry, folks. It was like beyond distasteful to me where it's like, yeah, I, I think that's too soon, but I don't know where the too soon line really lies. I, I, I've heard jokes that are probably like really too soon, but they're still funny. And I hate that it's sort of like my my yeah. judgment of whether a joke is in, in poor taste or not is largely did I laugh at it or not? Because if I laughed at it, it's probably fine. If I didn't laugh at it, mm, I don't know about that. That's that's not how I should measure anything. However, it is it is how I do. I think there was too much glee. Like people were having it's one thing to make a shit post about something. It's another to be like, boy, there's like been 10. I need to be the 11th, but I got to be new and interesting. But I still want to not have to think that hard. Yeah, the uh, there's like a sociopathic quality to some of these jokes. Where no, it's, it's not just a witty observation. It's like you're way too eager to, <laughs> to share this particular punchline. Like, uh, there's a Facebook group I, I, I lurk once in a while, and someone goes, I wrote this as a stand-up bit. The ladies call me the Titanic submarine because once they want to show me their wreckage, I disappear. Ha ha ha, too soon? And I responded, I don't believe the ladies call you anything, which did better numbers than his joke. Uh, well, yeah, and, and that's the point. Is it supposed to be about the joke? Because that's a good joke. Is it, though? I feel so like the like joke's kind of shit. No, I, I think I think that's pretty hilarious. Someone's like, "This is the bar," it's and they, like they it, quoted drill. It, but it's like if he, if he, if he set that up under any other circumstances, would that still be funny? I think so. Like the the submarine part doesn't make your joke funnier. The joke stands on its own. I suppose I don't. Right? I don't. I didn't find that particularly funny. Um, but I feel I like mean, if, if it had if been a different more, tragedy, if, if you got maybe, more likes on that, then I think that then it was funny. I don't know. It's it's it, it, I th- there's like I said the, the the glee of it, right? Like he's like, look, I wrote a stand up bit about this too. Yeah, him being super proud about it, it's like that makes it weirder. And then I just saw I think found him a- being weird makes the joke funnier because you're you're. You're punching down more so than if he just said this out of the blue. Sure. Now you're punching even more down, but it's like, shut up. And it, that almost gives it a little bit more because it's like warranted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We live in interest. Oh, I saw that. That was that's good. It's, it's anamorphs. It's Mario turning an elephant. This is an audio podcast. We should turn off. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Make like a submarine and go do something else. Too soon?